0: Our scripture reading comes from John 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the beginning, the word, before the word became flesh, before the word had spoken before the word who is Jesus had yet healed or saved or feasted or even died, before the word had risen, the word was with God. With God. You could say that being with God is the word's primary nature, which is why it is also his name, Emmanuel, God with us. The word came to us and comes to us to invite us into this primary nature where being with God is the first thing that gives light and life and meaning to everything else. And John begins his gospel in this way because this is the way he sees everything about the life of Jesus. It's a story of God being with us, which is just a natural outpouring and inevitable next chapter of being one with God. We reflect on this often during Advent, the season in which we mark that Emmanuel has come to us, and we ask ourselves the question, what will we do now that the light of the world has put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood to live and die as one of us? And usually, at least for me, the answer to that question feels most alive and most heartfelt around Christmas. Maybe it's the decorations or the gorgeous dark winter sky. Maybe it's all those memories and all that nostalgia tugging at my heartstrings. I just know that around Advent and Christmas, I most want to be someone who lives in the light of the world and maybe even believes in the wild possibility that I could live as light in the world. So what does it mean to bring the word who is with God and who is God, who is Emmanuel, God with us, into the season of Lent? I think it requires a different question, a harder question. Because while Advent asks us to consider what we might do now that the, world, the light of the world has come to dwell among us, Lent asks us to consider what to do now that it has come. And we have done very little. Sometimes I wonder if our Lenten disciplines are just ways we manage our guilt around this. We give up chocolate or wine or red meat or spending money, and we think these acts of doing will somehow rearrange our hearts in a way that changes us or at least shows that we're sorry. And sometimes it does. But it also can feel like we are rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic because we're coming at the problem in the exact way that will do the very least to solve it. We're trying to fix a being problem by doing. And that's just never going to work. All of our sins, really, might just be our misguided attempts to do something, because we are so very uncomfortable just being someone, just being. I know just about every one of us in this room is a doer. I know that because we live in Dallas, for one thing, and this neighborhood for another, and Dallas is a city of doers, and I love that. Really, I do. I go to other cities, and I think, I just want to get back to where I feel like everybody's doing things. Everyone here gets things done, and I appreciate that about us. But because Lent is the season of honest introspection, it's fair for us to consider that our greatest strength as doers is also part of our greatest weakness, which means that our propensity for doing is a package deal. It's a mixed bag. So by all means, we should look at all the ways that our doing has fostered love and beauty and connection and creativity in the world And we should feel joy about that and even some pride. But we also have to ask ourselves, do we sometimes throw money at a problem because we want it to go away and we call that doing? Do we sometimes create programs to fix people instead of learning how to be with them just as they are? Do we put a lot of energy into doing things that keep us busy without settling in to be present to a single soul, including our own? I do. And what do we do with that? When we slow down enough to recognize that being with us is the most fundamental thing about God. I mean, the New Testament begins with Emmanuel, God with us, and it ends with Jesus saying, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So it seems fair to say that being with us is not a side hustle for God. Consider for a moment the radical notion that God's entire agenda, the whole shebang, the sum total of God's purpose is to be with us. Consider that scripture is merely a million variations on the theme of what it means and what it looks like for God to be with us here in a new land, here in captivity, in the wilderness, under terrorizing rulers and benevolent ones, in exile and right at home, after suffering, in it even, as those attacking, as those who are under attack in the delight of freedom, in the pangs of grief, on the fringes of society and in the halls of power, by the sea in Galilee and atop a hill on a cross, a million variations on a theme of what it means for God to be with us. With us anyway. With us always. Because one thing remains fully clear, God is never God at a distance. And what if that's the whole point? What if the entire purpose of God's being is simply being with us? And why does that feel so hard to believe? In a city of doers, it sure feels like a stretch to imagine how being could ever lead to the kind of doing we think is required. But have you ever been with someone who is moving all around in a fuss doing things for you and yet you still felt disconnected from them? And have you ever been with someone who is right there with you not doing a single thing and yet you felt deeply loved and cared for? The being that is characterized by loving presence is actually the only kind of doing that we need. If we really care about doing what's right, if our desire to be movers and shakers is truly in service to the realm of God and to the common good, it seems obvious that the only place to begin is with the being. And there's nowhere on this earth where that's more readily and consistently available to us than in the presence of God, of Emmanuel, whose primary nature it is to be with us. As I hope you know, we're honored to be hosting Reverend Dr. Sam Wells on March 12th and 13th, our second British invasion, we're so grateful to say. In his book, A Nazareth Manifesto, he writes that with is the most important word in scripture. That small four-letter word, with, encapsulates the entire story of God. Why is that a Nazareth manifesto? Why, Why call it that? Well, think of what Jesus was up to in Nazareth. Mostly he was just spending time with people. He was just hanging out as the son of God who felt like this was a great use of his time. Wells puts it this way. He says our calling is to imitate the way that God is. And our clue about how we imitate the way that God is is to follow the way that God is with us in Jesus Christ. And what did that look like? It looked like a lot of hanging out and being with and abiding. It looked like healing and teaching. And yes, eventually it also looked like a season of pain and suffering and sacrifice. But what if the being with is the very thing that makes the healing possible? And what if the being with is also the very thing that makes enduring pain possible? I know you good Presbyterians love to operate decently and in order, and here Jesus is showing us exactly how to do so. The order is this, abide first and foremost and always, and let that guide your doing, and let that even sustain you in your suffering. If we're honest, we have to admit that we don't actually operate in that Jesus order. We just do things. We just keep trying harder, reaching for some unknown time in the future where, I don't know, I guess we think we'll reach a point where we've done enough or we, when we've done it well enough for it to count for us. But inevitably, we just get in over our heads or we mess up or calamity strikes. And if things get dicey enough, we run out of things to do. And only then do we turn to being with God. Only then, when we feel like there's nowhere else to go and nothing else to do, because if we could have thought of something else to do, we would just do it. And know that that is always a good time to abide with God, and in that moment where we don't have anything else we think we can do, God welcomes us gladly. But that's only because it's always a good time to abide with God. And if I were God, I think what might make me saddest is how long we wait to arrive there. Why do we wait so long? Well, I think it's because abiding requires space. And most of the time, our problem is that we don't trust that we have space for things. We also don't think we have time. But what I mean is we don't think we have room inside ourselves to handle things. We think this tragedy or this difficulty will undo us and end us, and sometimes it feels like it just might. But nevertheless, here we are, after all this time, still breathing. And after a while, we might even say that we got broken open somehow and found a little more room inside us than we knew we had before. What I mean is, we run from things instead of abiding We stay busy because we don't trust what will come up if we stay still. We do because we haven't yet found our place in God's I am. In Peter's Ash Wednesday sermon, which if you didn't hear it, you need to go give that a listen, he offered a line that continues to eat away at my heart, and I mean that as the highest compliment. He said, Jesus faced all the temptations that we face, and he said no. And then he died because we can't. (laughs) Oof. All our sins, really, might just be our misguided attempts to do something because we are so very uncomfortable just being someone. Just being. All our sins, really. All the places we opt for disconnection instead of reconnection. It's just our attempt to do. Because we have not yet found our place in God's great I am. So what would it look like for you to find your place in God's I am this Lenten season? What if all we did was just ask... What in my life most takes me farthest away from God's being? Where do I most get lost from that? And what if we just stopped doing that thing? And then what if we asked ourselves, what brings me the closest to God's great I am? And we just did that more. What if we attempted this Lent to test out just this one idea that we could seek first the presence, the being of God, and trust that all other things will be added? May we have the courage to do so. Amen.